and welcome back to Gentleman, a podcast redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna, I'm your host, and today I want to talk about men's health. This is a topic that gets spoken about a lot in the culture in the context of fitness, in the context of virility, basically in places that specifically make men look good or in ways that reinforce the culturally held notion about what men should be, right? Men should be virile, men should be fit, men should be strong, all this kind of stuff. So in those contexts, men's health is focused on. But when it comes to the greater picture of well-being, men aren't doing well. This episode was inspired by an article a friend sent me from the Washington Post. The title of this article is A Silent Crisis in Men's Health Gets Worse. So basically what the article outlines very clearly is that men have a lower life expectancy at every age, from infancy through childhood, teen years, adulthood, even old age. Men are just more likely to die young or less likely to live as long as women. So this has definitely been covered before and spoken about, but I don't think that it gets the attention that it deserves. There are a number of reasons for that, but I think that this really comes back to how this patriarchal culture that we live in hurts men. Of course, it hurts everybody, but this is just another way in which it's actually not working for anyone's benefit. It's really holding a lot of men back from enjoying their lives and having fulfilling lives and having longer lives. So really, the reason that I want to examine this is not to say we need to prioritize men's health care or why are women getting better health care than men or any of that. I think that that's a really misguided direction to go with this. More what I want to examine is what are the implications of this? What does this mean about how men are behaving? And what can we extrapolate from this? What can we learn? And how can we then help men to solve some of those problems? So that's what I'm going to go into today. First of all, though, I just want to get a little bit more into what the article covers to give us a bit more to talk about here. One of the interesting things to note with this is that numerous studies and data have shown that healthcare in general has been biased away from women and towards men. And this is in things like uh, research, been a lot more research done on, on men, frankly, than there has been on women and, and especially on uh kind of gender or, or body-specific research has tended to favor men. So why is it then that the numbers suggest that men seem to have worse health outcomes? Why would that be? So that's just something interesting to notice that I think, again, uh, will be clearer as we go through the article. So in 2021, Life expectancy was 79.1 years for women and 73.2 years for men. So that's basically a six-year life expectancy gap, which is huge. Apparently, it's the largest gap in a quarter century. I think COVID likely has something to do with that. Men actually account for, when I last checked the numbers, 63% of COVID deaths. So that's 13% more likely than women to die from COVID. I also want to point out that it's a global phenomenon, not just in the USA. Pretty much no matter where in the world you live, if you're a man, you are less likely to live as long as a woman. Here are some stats that I want to point out 
One of the most often quoted stats is that men are four times as likely to commit suicide or to die from suicide. A lot of people will take this number and try to weaponize it. I think it's more important to understand that men are just a lot more likely to feel hopeless. And they're a lot more likely to choose violent means, more decisive means, perhaps, for killing themselves. That's what I take from that number. But that also, this, this surprised me, actually. Those assigned male at birth are twice as likely to die in childhood and in their teen years. Also, 60% more likely to die of diabetes and a lot more likely to die in a motor crash. Actually, 72% of all motor vehicle crash death victims are male. These are just a handful of stats which, which kind of represent some larger themes in the culture. What I really want to get into is, why is this? What can we extrapolate based on these numbers? And of course, this is big stuff. This is complex stuff. I'm not going to claim to have all of the answers here. But I feel like I have some insight into this, and I feel like exploring it is going to open up the conversation, which can help men in a number of ways. So the first thing is, um, you know, why is this happening? I think one of the meta behaviors here is that men are supposed to be stronger and tougher and more self-reliant based on these cultural narratives about manhood. And I think that this does, this encourages two big behavioral areas that I think men are falling prey to here. The first behavioral area is that they're more likely to do things that are either risky or damaging to their health. So for example, you know, the motor vehicle deaths are really, they illustrate this well, that men are just more likely to drive their cars in a rash way, or maybe more likely to buy faster cars, or more likely to, like for example, 92% of motorcyclist deaths are male that pretty clearly highlights the fact that men are more likely to engage in risky purchases or, or risky behaviors with their vehicles. They're also more likely to work really physically demanding jobs, which can catch up with people over the course of a lifetime. And then, of course, you know, a little bit more likely to do things like maybe go shooting guns with their friends or, you know, whatever a cultural equivalent might be if you live in a place where gun ownership isn't common, right? But a little bit more likely to engage in that kind of activity. So that's one half of it. But I, I think the more interesting half of it is the self-care part of it, which I've spoken about on the show before, but it's such an important topic. I think it's really at the heart of men's issues today. And I really believe it's one of the perhaps the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to what can men do to improve their lives and, and what are the ripple effects? How does that help society? So I think it's very important. So men are less likely to get or ask for help. Again, this comes into the tough guy thing. I'm self-sufficient. I can do it on my own. I don't need other people's help. Asking for help makes me feel weak. Asking for help is vulnerable. I'm not good at being vulnerable. So that's a big one. Men are also less likely to see a doctor. And this kind of ties into it. Men are more likely to just try to shake it off or say, oh, I just hope this will go away on its own. Or I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to look at it. Again, maybe I don't want to have a vulnerable conversation with my spouse. Maybe I don't want to ask for accommodations in my workplace. Maybe I don't want to tell my friends that I'm having some health issue because it just makes me feel diminished. 
Maybe it makes me feel weaker in my body, or maybe it makes me feel less likely to keep up at the gym or in sports, or maybe it's affecting my sexual well-being, and God forbid that I admit up to that. So men are just a lot less likely to actually communicate their needs. Also, I've been framing this in terms of the way that men are thinking consciously about it, but I think a lot of this is actually unconscious. A lot of the programming that men are working with is pre-rational. A lot of this isn't even in the front of a man's mind. He may not even be getting this far in the thought process. It's more of an ingrained habit to simply either ignore problems that are going on or to downplay them. This is reinforced. It's reinforced growing up as a man. You're supposed to, or as a boy rather, you're supposed to shake it off, right? You get hurt. You don't want to cry like a little girl because then you're going to get teased. So you just push it down. Then that starts to filter through to all parts of life. You don't want to go crying to your mother when you feel bad. So you bottle it up and you hold it inside and you're less likely to do that in the future when you grow up. So I really want to underscore that this is cultural programming. This is where this kind of stuff gets ingrained is during childhood. Sometimes it's very directly from teasing or from reinforcements from adults. But oftentimes it's subtle. It's You see it in a movie. Maybe a man gets shot and he just keeps going. Or a man is in a car accident and just gets up and keeps going. And so these narratives get reinforced in some very dramatic ways and in, in some smaller ways as well. And so men internalize this concept of, I can always handle it. I can just keep going. I'm tough enough to not have to stop and deal with this. Another one that jumps to my mind is men waking up in the hospital in movies and immediately pulling all of the stuff. They pull a catheter out, they pull an IV out, and they just get up and they run out of the hospital and they continue to do whatever it is they were doing before they got hit by a car or before they got nerve gassed or, or whatever it is. This is such a clear example of how men are encouraged to be automatons that keep going. We're encouraged to be tough, blunt objects rather than sensitive, vulnerable human beings who need care and who need rest, just like everybody else does. And I don't know this for sure, but I imagine this is the case too, that I think that even when men do get health care, like if they go and see a doctor, I think that they're less likely to advocate for their needs. I think they're probably more likely to just accept the first layer of whatever the doctor tells them to do and leave it at that. So there's this general avoidance of vulnerability, weakness, talking about it, sharing communally, sharing burdens communally. Men are more likely to suffer in silence. They're more likely to try to shoulder their burden themselves. And so what does this lead to? This leads to men who are more socially isolated. This leads to men who have less emotional coping tools, men who are more likely to be depressed, I just looked up some substance abuse numbers in the U.S. In 2017, it was almost twice as many men had substance abuse issues as women do. 9.4% of men versus 5.2% of women aged 12 and older. So again, that's a pretty big gap. I think there are a lot of things that go into that. I do think that men are just more likely to be depressed and less likely to have the emotional intelligence or the emotional tools or the communication tools to help them get out of it. 
They're also less likely to seek help from a therapist, for example, than a woman might be. And I also think that some of it accounts for the fact that women are probably more likely to prioritize taking care of their children or taking care of their communities, and so may be a little bit more disciplined in their use substances. That's a theory. I don't know if that's true or not. So take that with a grain of salt. This paints a picture of a man who is trying to roll through life without having to slow down too much, without having to look at himself too much, without having to feel his feelings, and without having to be in a space of vulnerability as much. So how do we go about tackling this? How do we go about getting men into a better place? One of the most obvious places to start is for men to start working on self-care. I'm a huge advocate of this. Let's talk about some self-care strategies. How many men are likely to, on their day off, clean the house a little bit, drink some tea, read a book, do some skincare, maybe do some yoga, call a friend and chat for a while, write in their journal? How many men are likely to do that? When I'm talking about this, this all sounds more slanted towards what you would consider typical woman behavior. This idea of like getting cozy and attending to some creature comforts, making your space feel nice, making your body feel nourished, maybe exercising in a way that is a little bit more rejuvenative and a little bit less focused on exertion. I'm not saying that active exercise is not also really good for health. Uh, it is, but it's just that men have that one covered. Men tend to be good at getting up and getting out and, and moving more. And they tend to struggle more with doing the more relaxing side of the equation, right? Whether that's yoga or a more breath-focused style of activity. Or even just think about how many men go out to get a facial? How many men go out to get a massage? How many men go to the chiropractor? I know it happens. Definitely happens. But I'm thinking about the broader narrative here. How many men take baths? So these are the kind of activities that I would like to see men engaging in more. This change alone would lead to a much greater level of wellness. What starts to happen is when you start to focus on the here and now, when you start to check in with your body, when you start to ask yourself the question, how do I feel? How could I take care of myself? What would help me to feel better in this moment? And if instead of playing more video games or going out for a drink with the guys or hitting the gym twice as hard, instead of doing that stuff, if men were more likely to slow down, lay off the substances, engage in relaxing activities, communicate more, tell someone how they're feeling, or yeah, write in their journal about how they're feeling, when you do these kind of activities, all of a sudden your, your well-being becomes clearer. The state of your body becomes clearer. And then you have to ask yourself some hard questions like, oh, my back doesn't feel good. What am I going to do about that? Or I've been depressed for a while. How am I going to try to climb out of it? Am I going to see a therapist? Am I going to get more support from people I'm close to? Maybe am I going to read some more books or just try to focus on learning more? So it's really slowing down and focusing on self-care that allows us to have a greater clarity about what we're needing. And what do you know when you start to get your needs met? You start to feel better 
And when you feel better, you're less likely to commit suicide. You're less likely to die of a preventable health condition. You're likely to live longer. You're less likely to be stressed. And as we all know, stress is, is a killer. I think some of this stuff is a little bit simpler. It's a little bit simpler than an article like this would suggest. Of course, the Washington Post is not in the habit of trying to diagnose all of this stuff. They're just reporting on the numbers that they're seeing, and they're trying not to editorialize too much about what that might mean. But my belief is that a lot of this stuff can be uh, fairly easily prevented. The difficulty, of course, is in changing habits and changing cultural attitudes. If men feel like self-care is girly and they don't want to be girly, then they're not going to do it. So one of the things that needs to happen is for the, the cultural narrative around self-care to change. It needs to be something that men can do. It needs to be a manly thing to take care of yourself. Let's talk about this social aspect a bit more. One of the things that I've been talking about and that I've noticed in my life and among a lot of friends, uh, man friends that I have, is that men tend to struggle when it comes to maintaining relationships, when it comes to putting together a social agenda for themselves, when it comes to making new friendships, and when it comes to growing intimacy in those friendships. Oftentimes what happens is that men will look to women for those things. Either they'll try to stay in dating relationships so that they can get that kind of intimacy, so that they're trying to get their need for intimacy and vulnerable communication met through romantic or sexual relationships. Or if they do have women friends, they'll still try to get some of those needs met in, in those contexts as well. I feel that it's rarer for men to go looking to form more intimate relationships with other men. That's not something that you see as often. And it's not surprising why. It's a very culturally stigmatized thing, right? Homophobia prevents a lot of men from making more intimate connections with other men because, you know, what are the implications there? Men don't want to appear gay or they don't want to feel like they're coming on to their friends just because they want to have a conversation which is a little closer to the chest. This is another reason that men struggle and another reason that men are more likely to feel isolated and get depressed and abuse substances and the spiral continues. I really believe that men focusing on communicating their needs more, not just with maybe one or a few trusted women friends, but with a broader cross-section of the people they know, right? If men feel more comfortable talking about intimate affairs or vulnerabilities or needs with other men, or just more generally in their families, in their communities, maybe even in their workplace with coworkers, if they have some trusted coworkers or safe spaces to share that kind of stuff. When men start doing this more, they're going to become more resilient because resiliency really depends on community. When someone has a lot of support, a lot of backup, a lot of people in their court, people that they can reach out to, people they can call, people who can help them when they need help, 
this really creates the foundation for resiliency. It creates a safety, it creates a safety net. And especially in cultures like the US where the safety net infrastructure that exists is quite poor overall, it's especially important for people to find that kind of support in a more ad hoc way, in a more local way, in a more communal way. So I want to invite men listening to this to make a list or take a moment to think about who are some other men in my life that I would feel comfortable broaching this conversation with. Maybe just trying. Maybe you're hanging out with a guy friend or some of your guy friends that you feel like you trust more. And maybe just experiment a little bit. You could go slowly, right? Or you could take small steps. Maybe just share just one layer deeper than you have in the past. And see what the response is. See if, who knows, maybe you'll, your friends will open up surprisingly and they'll start talking about their stuff. You know, alcohol helps, right? So if you're one of these people who likes to have a drink with the guys, maybe you can wait. There can be some benefits as well as drawbacks to using substances. But anyway, just look for that moment. Look for the, the in, the moment that feels most relaxed and see how it goes. And if it doesn't go well, well, you can avoid doing that with those people and, and try to find somebody else. Maybe you have a sibling who you could be closer with. Or maybe you have a dad who's sympathetic. I mean, it can happen, right? The mythological sympathetic father. Maybe you can reach out to your father and, and have some of these conversations. If you're really struggling, if you're kind of racking your brain to think about someone you'd feel comfortable talking with and you can't think of anyone, then this is a great opportunity to make some new friends. There are all kinds of groups. You can join support groups. Obviously, there's AA and stuff like that. But you don't even need to go that deep to find people who might be open to sharing that kind of space with you. There are co-counseling groups. If you have a therapist, that's something a therapist could really help you to come up with a plan around. So there are quite a lot of resources when you start to look into it. You can go to meetups. You have a lot more options available to you than getting drunk by yourself at a bar and eventually weeping in public about your sorrows and burdening random people who don't even know or necessarily care about you. I encourage you to come up with a plan. Make some lists. Write some stuff down. Don't just keep it theoretical. Try to come up with a plan. I've done this before. There have been a number of times when I'll take out my journal and I gave myself a number of years ago, I gave myself a mission. I wanted to have more male friends and I wanted my relationships with those friends to feel more emotionally intimate. I wanted to be able to share more of myself in those relationships. I went through a number of iterations of just writing down, listing the names of men that I knew who I thought might be open to that, and then making an effort to reach out to them and, hey, do you want to hang out? Do you want to go out for a drink? Do you want to go for a bike ride? Uh, do you want to go for a walk or work out together or whatever? Play some video games, whatever it is, whatever your shared interests are. So that first step, just making more plans, that's already a great way to get the ball rolling, even if you don't have any other agenda, but just making sure that you are Maintaining your relationships, reaching out to people, checking in, expressing an interest in hanging out, being persistent, especially with people who you know really authentically want to hang out with you. Obviously, you know, if you're being persistent with someone who's you're not that close to or they're kind of giving you the runaround, then 
Maybe they don't want to hang out that much. But focusing on people who you know you get along with and who you know want to spend time with you and uh, just making sure that you nurture those relationships, that's a great start. And then you can, as you go, you can slowly try to introduce a little bit more intimacy in your conversation. I want to take a moment to plug therapy here because therapy is another one of these things that if you're doing a good job in therapy or if you have an active therapeutic relationship going, it is likely to provide you support and reflection, catharsis, and good advice from someone whose career is devoted to helping you. So I can't say enough good things about therapy and Therapy has been somewhat, I would say, stigmatized for men. Uh, it's a little bit better now. I, I, would, I think it's generally has been a broader cultural stigma for a lot of people, but I think there is a slight bias away from men getting therapy. And it has been such an amazing tool in my life. It has totally transformed my patterns. I was a very heady man. And I was definitely someone who was dissociating from some of my trauma and from my difficulties, even from my depression. I was just really not wanting to look at it or address it. And that not wanting wasn't even conscious. It was unconscious. I was just avoiding it. I wasn't even having the conversation in my mind about where to, whether to do it or not. It was more happening in the back of my mind. So it didn't even make its way to my awareness most of the time. So when I started going to therapy, and I thank God my first therapist was fantastic. She was very good at helping me to get into a more feeling space. So I would start my sessions just talking, 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 being very logical, trying to explain things, trying to understand things. And halfway through the session, she would pause and look at me and she'd say, and how does that make you feel? And it turns out that if someone asks you that question enough and provides enough space, at some point, you're probably going to get into your feelings. It was really profound. It was very vulnerable for me. In some ways, it was a little bit destabilizing when I started to do that because it was shaking. It shook my life up. It shook some things loose that needed to come loose. But as a result, it made me feel stirred up. It made me feel shaken. But it was very, very important. And a lot of the stability that I have today... And a lot of the health that I enjoy today has come from that therapeutic relationship. So again, the great thing about a therapist is that once they get to know you and once you start talking more about the broader scope of their life, they can start to help you with this stuff. They can give you good advice. They can help you overcome anxieties that might be preventing you from making better connections with other people. They can give you some better tools for how to work with yourself when you start to get into maybe a depressed mode of being or uh, when you start to perpetuate bad habits. They can help you out. They can also help you to come up with a more personalized plan for maybe how you're going to follow up on certain aspects of your health or how you're going to approach your self-care. So I can't encourage therapy enough. If it's something that you've never tried, I would really encourage you to, you know, especially if you have healthcare, try to find a therapist who's covered under healthcare. That way it can even be affordable. And if you don't have insurance, then there's oftentimes programs to help people who are uninsured or who don't have the financial resources to get therapy as well. So I would just encourage you to see what options are available to you and see what resources are being offered to you and see if you can take advantage of them. 
made a huge difference in my life and the lives of so many people that I know. And I think it's a really crucial piece of the puzzle. Men are unlikely to have the tools that they're going to need to come out of some of these more toxic behaviors and some of these more vitality sapping behaviors if they're not getting therapy. So this is a big topic. I'm not hoping to definitively cover it all here. This is more a springboard for reflection and an opportunity to bring up some of these categories that I think are so important to discuss for men wanting to redefine their manhood and come to a more holistic and healthy expression of themselves. So thank you for listening to Gentleman. I will look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you.